who's to say what the chapters, the future chapters are going to look like? Who's to say at that point, um, what are the things I'm going to find uh, most personally fulfilling? It's difficult to make a life commitment now to say that this is the best place for me to thrive forever. I, I just don't know. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, hey, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, I am speaking to Ryan Frederick, and we are going to be discussing the intersection of longevity and where you live. This is such a fascinating topic. When Ryan uh, first approached me to come on the show, I was really intrigued, uh, wanted to read his book, uh, which we talk about in, um, in our conversation today. A little bit about Ryan. He is the CEO of Smart Living 360. It's a consulting and real estate development firm that specializes in housing and healthy aging and longevity. He is, uh, serves as the national, uh, serves on the national advisory board on the John Hopkins university of nursing, a fellow of the Encore public voices, and is a member of the advisory council of the bipartisan policy center, health and housing task force. So this is such an interesting concept where you live and its impact on our well-being. And in our conversation today, we are going to answer the question, are you in the right place right now? And we're going to explore place uh, as a key component for successful aging, evaluating whether you are in the right place and where, and maybe helping define if you have identified, if you are not in the right place, where is the right place for you? So we have a relatively global conversation, uh, hat tip to Paris, France, uh, to Paris. We, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that we talk about that the city is doing really well there. And we talk about other areas, other metro areas, regions and states uh, in the U.S. And, and beyond. We talk about neighborhood and communities. We talk about, and then we get even a little bit more granular. And we talk about the difference between single family housing, apartments, uh, senior living, uh, and other emerging options from co-housing to tiny homes, living with or near family. This is such a, such a great, um, framework for thinking about longevity. We often get caught up in the nutri, you know, in the nutrition and the fitness and the mindset, which of course fundamental for, you know, for building a healthy life. But also where you live is really important. So not only 
the country, uh, but the state and or province that you live in. Um, and of course, getting more granular, the city or the town, urban or rural, etc. So really, uh, really, really great conversation. I hope that you'll take a lot away from this. And maybe as we are moving uh, into the new year, that there will be some reflection for whether or not place, you know, where you have called home is still is still serving you in the way that it was when you originally moved there. And maybe there is a, um, maybe there's an opportunity for you to move to a uh, better place. So without further ado and without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ryan Frederick. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water, and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Ryan, I am so happy to welcome you to BETTER. Welcome to the show. Thank, thank you, Dr. Stephanie. It's, uh, it's interesting because we haven't really... What we're going to talk about today, we're talking about your new book, Right Place, Right Time. And on the show, we have talked a lot about how we can optimize our hormones. What's the nutrition? What's the mindset? But we haven't talked about the role of place. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into all of the particulars that you cover in the book. Um, before we do, though, um, I think it's always useful. I'm, I'm always curious as well about you know, you mentioned, we were just chatting in their pre-chat and you're like my first book, you know, it's been like a really uh, wild ride, how you came to write a book about the role of place in longevity and health. So maybe a little bit about your background and what was the compelling reasons for you? I know you talk a little bit about your own move, uh, in the States, um, to Austin that might, that might come up, but you know, what were some of the driving factors for you to, to write this book on the role of place on health and longevity and wellness? Yeah, no, for sure. So I, um, <clears throat> this was never part of the master plan, Stephanie. I, uh, my, I have three kids and one of them, uh, our oldest is a junior in high school and she just took the PSAT and I took the PSAT growing up and the math was fine, but the English suggested I was English as a second language. So it was not, it was like, this was not necessarily the path, um, did engineering, worked in Silicon Valley about 15 years ago, went to business school and then focused on longevity, basically how can, you know, really the intersection of, of place and healthy aging. So I've been thinking about this for a long time now and, and I've been, uh, I've developed communities, I've invested in communities, um, and it's made me think more and more about just the role the environment has on our health. And, and despite not 
being much of a reader or writer when I was growing up, um, gotten much more into it the last few years. And, and I guess the, the passion overtook me. And I started getting a lot of questions from people. Um, became like the, the family expert, you know, friends and family. Oh, what do I do if this happens? What do we do that happens? And I found that two things. One, people have a lot of questions. But then more importantly, I think people haven't necessarily been fully giving place its proper due in the context of healthy living. And I have a brother-in-law who's written some books and he kept like needling me and needling me. And I eventually broke down and uh, hired the agent and, and Johns Hopkins is the publisher here for this book. But I had committed to writing it before the pandemic. And, and in fact, I'd written probably a quarter of it. Uh, thankfully, not more because the pandemic really has, I think, shifted a bit how we think about this. So um, it came out a couple of weeks ago. It's been really, uh, I've enjoyed it more than I thought. Uh, like the writing, because I've been so interested in this topic and studying and reading and observing. Um, I wouldn't say it was easy for me, but it was something I'd been thinking so much about that certainly helped. Uh, it was fun. I made it a bit of a family project. I hired my daughter to do the editing for it. Oh, nice. so, yeah. So she, uh, she now knows far more about healthy aging than perhaps any 15 year old girl should. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's really a passion project. But it's been exhilarating to see the impact of some of the early readers, uh, because I think it's it's jolted people in a good way to recognize here's this big thing and often like right in front of us, but in some ways like hidden in plain sight, because the right place makes everything easier and the wrong place uh, for a given person. Yeah, it makes everything harder. So uh, just excited to to have done it and now released it you know, to the world. Yeah. And anyone who says that writing a book is easy is lying. Uh, I, I also released my first book earlier this year and it was like childbirth. It was like, you know, fast and slow and furious at, you know, and so at some points and then like art, like just arduously painfully slow at others. So congratulations on it. And uh, you know, as we, I definitely want to talk about the pandemic um, has, and how that has shaped our view on place. But before, just before we get there, I think it's worthwhile to maybe define a couple of uh, socioeconomic factors that go into, you know, determining whether you are in the right place. And you you talk about this in your book. I believe it was, uh, I'm going to hopefully say his name correctly, uh, Raj Shetty, uh, economics professor at Harvard, um, and you, and you write about this in your book, how he had demonstrated through some of his research that life expectancy can change by decades, decades based on your zip code, which I thought was fascinating. So let's talk about how we can determine, are we in the right place right now? So you talk about five um, factors and maybe we can talk about each of those in turn, define them, and then how we might start to, um, you know, stack up whether or not uh, we are living in the right place based on these five socioeconomic factors. Yeah. So there's a lot there. So yeah, Raj Chetty, he's one, he's brilliant. Um, he's, he's one of these uh, researchers who has really put a spotlight on, on, on place and, and just to spend, spend a moment on there because we have our personal decisions, but we also have like at the society level, are we creating places for people to thrive? Uh, we live in Austin, Texas. We moved from the mid Atlantic uh, a couple of years ago, which we'll probably talk about in a bit, yeah. but 
in Baltimore, we lived in a zip code that the adjacent zip code to us, life expectancy was about 20 years less. And there's a lot in there, a lot in there, but it, it does speak to how place can be a key factor in not just life expectancy, but quality of life. And zip code is like sometimes just blocks, right? It like we're, and we're not, we're not talking about, you know, in the next town over, we're talking about no. maybe a couple streets over. It de- yeah, it depends, but yeah, it is in, it's in sections of blocks, could be dozens of blocks, but it's not another town over. Right. Um, so, so, it, so we have, we have our opportunity individually to take advantage, but we have this society issue. How can we make it uh, better for everyone? Um, to your point around these drivers. So part of the book um, uh, in my research for it was studying just successful aging. What are these factors you know, that matter? And, uh, and there was a book that put a highlight, I think, on this at the macro level. And that was a book called Blue Zones. came out yep. a number of years ago. Yep. It's hey, it studied five or six places across the world, see who, like why people live longer in those areas. But there's a big body of research where people go into these individual factors. So the, the five that I highlight in the book are really based on the Gallup uh, Healthways Index, and that's purpose, social connection, physical well-being, financial well-being, and then really place, community. And, in, and to start off with purpose, uh, it, it really is so important at every age. And, and, and when I define purpose, it is something that kind of motivates you on a daily basis that's bigger than yourself where you feel like the energy that you're spending uh, is makes a difference in, in some way that's that you you get meaning from. That's not just self-serving. Not just self-serving. And, and the research is pretty uh, significant around that. It's not to say that there aren't self-serving things that you enjoy, but in terms of really driving your, your overall longevity, it's the, it's the element where you're, it's bigger than yourself. That's so significant. Um, you know, you have you you tend to live longer. Your incidence of of dementia is significantly less. There's a number of different health outcomes linked to this identifiable purpose. And when we're younger, perhaps some of it's easier, like raising a family, for example. That would be one thing where you see this. Oh my gosh, you know, our t- our guys are teenagers, but in the early days, it's uh, you know, it's a full court effort, and and you're just lucky to survive the day. But you have purpose that day. Um, as we get older and we're living longer, uh, sometimes that, that purpose takes more effort to understand what, what, what is that that can, that can drive that for us. And um, one of the overarching themes, take a, take a step back for a moment, is, uh, is just we're living longer. So today, right. 50% of the kids that are born in developed countries are expected to live to at least 100 years old. So this is not just baby boomers living. This is like a new thing right. that's happening. And these lifestyle habits as we move to the others, these are important really at any age. Um, and so you got purpose. You have uh, social connection, which um, you know, this, the, the, these uh, concerns about a loneliness epidemic uh, were true before the pandemic, but the pandemic's really put a spotlight on, on, on our modern age and how we're connected yet so disconnected. 
you know, often quoted um, research around loneliness specifically is that people who feel regularly lonely, it's the impact of smoking about 15 cigarettes a day. And it's not the same as being alone, so right? I was going to get to that. So yeah. exactly. So you have, so loneliness is this perception that you're not, you're not as socially connected to people as you wish. There's uh, social isolation, which is more related to physically, are you not around people? Is there less uh, uh, actual interaction? Um, there, there is research around people that feel regularly lonely, like I talked about. And there, are, there is research around if you are socially isolated to a large degree, that also has significant health uh, negative health implications. But you can have lonely people that are in crowded apartment buildings, and you can have people that are not lonely that are living alone in different places. So it very much some of this, there, the, the physical isolation, that that is fairly objective, but the loneliness piece is very much dependent on the individual and life stage. It's, so in that sense, it can be complicated, and that's why it's important for individuals to assess some of that on their own. Um, but this idea of, of being socially connected, having that social fabric in life, close relationships, and then even um, uh, more just acquaintances become significant. There was a research study recently as compared to 30 years ago, men and women have about a fifth people that used to be the most um, – used to have the percentage of people that used to have 10 or more, what they would describe as good friends, that number's gone down to about a fifth of what it was 30 years ago. And there's four times as many people that, that they don't have any close friends outside of their family. Well, you even saw this, even with the pandemic, where I think that the language that people were using originally, it was like, you need to socially distance Right. And there was a, there was a push. I mean, I don't know how successful it was, but it was like, it's actually not social distancing that we're after it's physical distancing. I mean, you know, we can talk about the research around the six feet. We won't even won't go down that, that rabbit hole, but um, the, even the word, I think, uh, caused a lot of issues, caused a lot of problems. It's like, oh, I can't socialize anymore, you know, rather than, you know, I just need to maintain some space between me and the next person because of air, like the molecules that I'm aerating, you know, into, you know, that I'm uh, respiring into the, into the air. So I, yeah, when that happened, uh, so I do a monthly blog on the Smart Living 360 website and I got fired up for exactly that same reason. So when that happened, uh, I jumped on it and and pointed the exact critique you had, which is um, we actually desperately need like social connection. So physical distancing, okay. Like social distancing, not okay. Right. And, and it was used somewhat interchangeably there in the beginning, I think to the detriment of, of people. So you have this, this really significant um, element of, of, of social connection. And, and one other thing on that, before we move on to the next one, and that is, uh, you know, fewer people are having kids. There's more single people in general. Family is more ge geographically disparate. So it means that this tribe that we need, we're social creatures. Right. We have to work harder now to find our people than we did in past generations. And we could talk about the pros and cons. I mean, the pro now, of course, the economic opportunity, you can move anywhere in different ways, but we've now lost a lot of these extended family 
relationships that were more common several generations ago. Even even my mother-in-law, like she lived, you know, when she was growing up and I would say the same is true for, you know, my mother, my more my grandmother is, you know, mom, her, and then the kids were all in the same, all in the same house. Everybody was up in everybody's business. So you can, you know, like that might be a con. Yeah. Uh, however, that saying, it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It's really true. And we really do see the, the, the brunt of the responsibility now is, you know, we can talk about, you know, the the differences between male and female roles in the home, but a woman who's trying to have a career and then also raise children. I mean, you have, something's got to give. So we, we see, you know, them, we see nannies and we see caregivers that are coming in or they're going to school earlier. You know, we're sending them to preschool and things like that earlier so that someone else can help out. So it's, it's the same, you know, we're still trying to get other people to help us, but in this case, in this more modern um, scenario, it's paid, right? Like we're either sending them to to preschool, you know, earlier, which was like never a thing, Um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, preschool wasn't really, you know, around, or we have these nannies, live-in nannies, you know, nannies that come in from call it eight to eight or whatever, you know, whatever the time is. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. So we were, we're, we're born in this age and time and how do we construct uh, a fulfilling, long, like thriving life in light of the era that you're in. Right. We're in this era where, yeah, um, Fortunately, there are possibilities to get help for those that have some resources and so on, but it's still not the same. And, and when you have family, yeah, there may be some dysfunction. There may be up into different people's business, but there's something different when like it's not paid. This is just what, who we are looking after each other. And we see the pressure as you highlight. Uh, my, my wife, certainly when we had young kids and her career, and it was a lot, we're all trying to figure it out, but over the construct of a longer life, uh, the same thing happens later in life, like just as always bumps in the road and who's there to catch you, who's there to help point out that there's a bump in the road before you hit the bump. Uh, it's difficult for paid help to be there in the same way. In the same way your mother-in-law might tell you, listen, I've been through this before. They need to like, they need to be coddled this way. Like they need to be, you know, they're not going to, I totally agree with you because I remember when my babies were young and uh, you know, my mother-in-law was saying, this is what you like, this is how you do it. This is how you coddle them. This is how you hold them. This is when they cry like this, you do that. And that is never, you don't get that wisdom as you were saying, you don't get that wisdom from paid help because, you know, the help is here to, you know, support you, but maybe they don't feel empowered or you don't have the relationship with them where they feel like they could say, you know what, (laughs) I know what you're going through. This is what you, you know, they're not going to speak up in in the same way that your mother or your mother-in-law might. Right. So you, so you've got this, this issue around, uh, I might, I've heard the term like chosen family, Right. Or these people that you want to be close enough to and, and, and do life with that aren't necessarily, you know, biological. Um, so it's a meaty subject. It's a really meaty subject. And then, and then another one is around just physical well-being, uh, being active. And, and I remember I was at a healthcare conference several years ago, I had the four most recent uh, U.S. Surgeon Generals. And they asked them separately, what's your best advice for, you know, living a, a healthy, longer life from a, you know, physical activity perspective. And they just said, 
move, just move. Our bodies were made to move. Our current uh, society, however, is quite sedentary. And so we have to find ways to, to, to move. And, and um, so that's another area, just physical well-being, uh, uh, whether it's um, walking or biking or tennis or like that whole dimension. And what that does, not just to our heart, but our brain when we're, you know, interval workouts and, and at different ages, ways to push yourself that in effect, you can kind of keep yourself younger with certain ways of being active. And then the fourth area is around uh, financial well-being. And, and one of the challenges there is it's great that we're living longer, right? That should be a great thing. Um, however, uh, we, we, it's important that we're in a position where we can be um, financially well over a longer life. And in an environment where jobs are changing and industries get disrupted, uh, where pensions don't exist, where social security is likely to get restructured, this is not a- Technology getting rid of manual labor. Technology getting rid of manual labor. This is not a, uh, it's a complicated exercise. Um, And and so that's another another piece. And then the last piece is is related to, um, is really related to place more directly. So are you in a place that you feel have this emotional connection to you? Do you feel like you belong to this place? You know, do you feel it for, given your um, physical limitations, perhaps is the place the right spot for you from a, um, from a safety perspective, from a health and well-being, especially with um, uh, the pandemic as a reminder, the, the air quality for which you know your, your place has, uh, the connection to nature, which is valuable both inside your home and outside your home, a number of different elements that are very specific to you know your, your place and built environment. So those are the five areas that, uh, that I highlight as like key drivers in living this, this longer, uh, longer life and, and, and place has a direct one. Like we talked about, I just talked about the moment, but it also has an impact on purpose and social connection and, and physical well-being and so on. And so you have to, one of the things I talk about is how, if you're focused on uh, you know, a better life, uh, and you're thinking about eating better and, and exercising more often, well, play should be just as important in that conversation because it's, in, in effect, it's this huge thing that's hidden in plain sight because, you know, you, you take it for granted, but sometimes we just think of place as housing and not as this foundation for all these other, you know, key, key elements. So as you were talking uh, specifically about physical well-being, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, that, you know, I lived in New York City for uh, a time, very easy to get around. And it's very much a pedestrian, like I could walk from, you know, I lived in uh, an area called Tribeca, which is sort of a Southern, like south, south uh, of the island. And I could walk all the way up to Hell's Kitchen and back, like, you know, it would take me you know, a couple hours, but like still I could walk wherever I really needed to. The subway system was uh, you know, incredible. And I also think about other cities like London uh, in the UK, very similar, very much a pedestrian city. Same with Paris. Every time we've been there, very easy to navigate. And then my city, uh, Toronto, uh, you need a car. <laughs> I mean, they have, we have, we have subways, you know, but it's, you know, I would say a rather, um, 
we'll say, um, um, you know, when you compare the subway system of the, you know, New York to Toronto, I mean, Toronto has three lines, like New York has, I don't know how many, and then there's the express and then you have the local anyway. So it's, it's interesting. And we're, we're going to get into each of these different pieces, but, um, you know, for some, a Torontonian, someone who lives in Toronto, or maybe uh, cities that developed after a certain amount of time, I would say Chicago is also probably a very much a pedestrian city as well. Like there's cities that Boston as well, like cities that sort of uh, flourished at a certain time, um, very easy to navigate in terms of movement, you know, just to kind of double click on that point that you made with this, with the Surgeon General, just being able to move freely. Like I can just walk to the cleaner and I can walk to the butcher and I can walk here and like you, you end up accruing five, seven, 8,000 steps a day versus in Toronto, I need to drive to the grocer and then I need to drive to the dry cleaner and I need to drive to pick up my kids. I can't walk, um, which is, which is a huge, uh, I think that's a huge, uh, impediment to healthy living is when you're reliant on a car. Yeah. So, um, it's a key point you raise and that is <clears throat> for any of these things, how can your place make it easier in yeah. this like to move how can you make it easier to move or or harder what are these ways it kind of nudges you to do the right thing um there's a movement right now they call it 15 or 20 minute um cities now it the idea is you can get access to all the things that are important within a 15 to 20 minute like bus ride, biking, walking. And, 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 and Paris is an interesting example because Paris, unlike um, say New York, uh, you know, they put a cap on how high the buildings are. Uh, DC is similar. And so what it does is it creates a little bit more of a, a, a middle height. Uh, there's a more technical term I can't remember right now, but more middle height, which creates mid, I'll call it mid uh, uh, density. And it's actually probably better for the environment, how these buildings are, are structured. Um, but also it creates these little pockets of, of accessibility. You're seeing some interesting work in Australia talk about this, number of different actually places in the, in the world. How do we create these 15 to 20 minute pockets where you have all that you can get to without necessarily having to own or get into a car? Now, we live in, in Austin, and Austin is not known for its public transportation. There's no subway. You know, the buses are, are a bit intermittent. However, um, walkability score, which is part of what we're talking about, um, we picked an area where, at least by bike, and I, and I do, I use my bike all the time, anytime I can, uh, can get a little hot. So sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit sweaty <laughs> on the other side. But, um, but, Grocery store, pharmacy, doctor, schools, um, post office, like all within 10 minutes by bike. So my bike bags. And, and so I'm, I'm not saying everyone's doing this, but at least it's possible. But the option is there. Option is there. And yeah. so, you know, then I've got, I've got the bike, the bike bags. Uh, there's more bike lanes that have now protected. That's one of these that happened with the, the pandemic. So I, I would say, it is this, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's an important factor as, as it plays out, like what allows you to just nudge you to an easier way, the right lifestyle, let's say. And some of these things, as we get a bit older, they become even more important uh, uh, to, to um, in, in the, our immediate neighborhood, just to finish it off, 
within five minutes, we're not walkable to a grocery store, but it's still a very pleasant place to walk. So that's another piece from a walkability. Is it, are you in a neighborly area where there's sidewalks or wide streets and it's pleasant? Or are you right next to a freeway where that's not, you know, a possibility and what just makes it easy? That's, again, keep on going back to that because we can um, have the best intentions, but as a practical matter, if it's a little bit harder to go do it, you're less likely to do it and make it a habit. Yeah. So yeah, place can be a factor in that. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. The other thing I'll just mention about my love for Paris, um, just in terms of community, one of the things that they've done is they have a, um, and I was watching, um, an, uh, an episode of, um, oh, I forget the name of it. it was Zach Efron was the, uh, of the host and he was going all around trying to figure out what were some of the longevity pieces. And he visited Paris specifically for their water and the city has taken over. So, you know, a city like mine, there's like a, uh, a central, uh, you know, area where the water is, there's a fluoridation center and they have, um, they are, not, they don't have, it's not, uh, they don't add fluoride to the water. They have, I think it's a salt water. Uh, there's some, there's something there where they put hydrogen bubble. I can't remember the exact, um, mechanism, but what they've basically done is they have installed all of these free water, uh, refill stations all through the city. So instead of buying bottled water, which of course, adds to the environmental load and is usually just tap water anyway. Uh, and you know, in, increases the garbage. It's like, just take your, you know, tin water bottle. You can just come up here and it's free. You can either choose carbonated like flat or, um, or, uh, sparkling water, which I thought was like, go Paris, you know, go Paris. no, no. Paris does a lot of things, right. Yeah, we do. And, and, but it, it, and we'll get into this in a second, but you almost have to play like macro economist in some of this, because if you're in a place like how you described Paris, where it's just literally in the water that people care about these issues, then it's more likely that you have like better water. Like you're described, there's more people where this is just a priority and, and it, it makes it, it, you're more likely to age well. I mean, that's a reality. So it, it is, Whereas some places it's not on the radar screen at all. And you're trying to fight upstream, which is, you know, often, often a losing battle. So how can you find these places? And maybe you're already there, but have these places where you, you, it just feels like the right fit for the things that you care about. Yeah. So let's, let's, so we've talked about some of these five, these five factors that you've been, that you've been talking about purpose, social connection, how easy it is, is it to move? So physical well-being, financial well-being and community in place. How do we evaluate whether we are in 
the right place or not. And you, in, in the book, I really enjoyed a lot of the stories that you told with some of the different um, uh, couples, uh, whether they were moving to be with, you know, a community, there was one, they wanted to move closer to be more with their uh, community of, of, of ethnic heritage. There was Indian community. Yeah. Uh, some moved to be closer to their family. And then, you know, maybe later they weren't, they're like, well, I left, you know, this place. I, have, I don't have any new friends. Was this really the right move for me? Yeah. How do we, you know, looking at through the lens of these five factors, how can we look at our place, whether it's a town, a city, suburb, you know, and evaluate whether or not, and we can, we can start off sort of like metro area, area of the country, and then we can get narrower in our focus as we go on. And is it the right residential dwelling that we're in? How do we begin to evaluate that? Totally. You know, the, the principles, so, so the book focuses on what I would describe is when the kids are no longer a factor in your primary decision-making. I'll call that fifties and above. Uh, Of course, some people that's not part of their life story and these factors may be more significant earlier. Um, But the principles that we're talking about in terms of place applied any age, you know, the social connection pieces we talked about all that regardless of age. Um, But the reason why I focus on the, Second half of life, uh, part of that's my background is understanding those uh, that that those environments really well. Um, but it also is a point where, as I said, you have this logical opportunity to revisit what what, what do you want this longer life to, to look like. And so I start off with we went through those five areas, but I think it's important for people to self-assess where are they on these because you might find oftentimes. You might find that you're deficient in a certain area, but you can fix that or improve it, but by just doing certain lifestyle interventions where you already are. Um, but when we think about place, uh, it's uh, it is it is needs to be broadly defined, like you described, where it's not just your physical dwelling, it's your neighborhood and and your urban, suburban, rural, and what metropolitan area, like you described, Toronto compared to others, and then what region of the country, and even what even what country. I mean, it, it's sad right now, right? Given what's happening, for example, in Afghanistan, for everyone, particularly women, like you might have a beautiful house, but you're in the wrong country, regardless how nice that house is. And we have examples of that in, in to lesser degrees all over the place. And so I think that there's an element as you, as you evaluate these decisions, um, as I mentioned earlier, being like a, a macroeconomist for a second, like where is my, what are the characteristics of my region? Where are they, go- importantly, where are they going? Because as we're living longer, you might live in one place, but you can move to another and be there for decades. You know, you could, you might say, I'm, you know, I'm from, Boston, but maybe you decide to move to Kansas City. And that, and if you do that in midlife, you could be there for decades and that really could be your rooted home. And, and so I think it's, and I have some different resources in the book, but I think it's helpful to understand with some um, resources that are available out there, how, how do I think about like the, the likely growth of a certain region or, or metro area? You know, one of the, one of the things I, I, I reference um, or talk fair about is just you have to think about the economy of tomorrow. You know, and you mentioned a bit about labor being displaced with technology. Well, technology has uh, such a role right now in our economy that if you're living in a particular area that 
technology is not part of the ecosystem there, those companies aren't there, you have to ask yourself, are we positioned to be like a thriving place over time? Because if you're not, you then have this question, like economically, you have this question, um, am I, um, what's this place going to look like over time? And might I be trapped? There's a, I have an example in the book, um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for example, my dad's from Pittsburgh. So we're race Steelers fans. And, and this, the city itself is, is, is thriving right now. It's got strong universities, strong medical programs. Uh, a lot of, a uh, number of companies have been moving there, but you go two or three hours outside of the city where we used to have a family hunting cabin you see a lot of for sale signs. It's a lot of sellers, no buyers. And the schools are hurting, the health of the community is hurting. Um, it's a sad situation, but the point I'm raising is that some people were able to get out. Some people saw it, they moved, they could sell their house. So you, you have to have some appreciation and, and pay attention to the trajectory of that area and metropolitan area. Uh, but even down the neighborhood level, you know, neighborhoods change and you might be in a neighborhood where you knew everyone and it was safe and energizing and, but it can change. And you can then find a spot where that local school that used to draw young families, well, maybe that, maybe that's not a good school anymore. And people aren't moving it for that. And maybe the, maybe it's not as safe as it once was for different reasons. Maybe the, the police involvement, whatever, you know, there's things happening. So when there's an issue, like you can't get help. As it happens, and as we do get older, we at least feel more vulnerable for when things happen. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to think about, uh, even before you get to the physical dwelling place. Yeah. Uh, and and it's um, yeah, and recognize that places. One of the things I, I do talk about, I think it's important to reference. Sometimes we see changes that happen to us, like uh, uh, you know, I'm in my mid forties. I ache in certain areas. I used not to ache in, you know, uh, knees included. Um, so I feel that I'm changing a bit, but, uh, but places change too. And so we have, we have to be attuned to how we're changing and how our places are changing. And is it, is it, is it, a, is it a good match? Uh, so what might be an amazing place for one stage in life could be the absolute wrong place for another place, even if our physical address stays the same. Yeah. And I, even just my own migration through my own life, um, you know, when I was younger, pre-children, I wanted to live downtown. Like I wanted yeah. to live near all the restaurants. I yeah. wanted to live near the action. And yeah. now, you know, I, I'm, I'm not plus if I never go downtown again, like it's too crowded <laughs> for me now, which yeah. is so interesting for me to look at how I used to just absolutely love like downtown Toronto. You know, you could make the argument. It is one of the culinary hotspots, um, in North America, very diverse, great, yeah. great, great food. But now I just, I'm like, I need my quiet. I need my space. I need my garden, you know, and yeah. it's, it's interesting. Even when I look at my, my parents and my in-laws, um, they, you know, came to uh, Canada from, uh, you know, Italy and 
now that their children are grown, you know, now they're looking at purchasing and going back to the motherland. Like they're spending months on end in Italy, searching, you know, in their original towns, like for a property that they can build on. And it's interesting, you know, when we think about when we get to, you know, our forties, our fifties, our sixties, when our, maybe our children are grown and the focus now can return to ourselves, we have this opportunity to ask, okay, what is it that's really important? And you can make the argument, you know, they moved from Italy back in the, you know, I guess it would have been like the fifties or sixties because of a terrible economic uh, situation in Italy. I can say, you could say the same for Greece and Portugal. Like there was a mass efflux from those countries to uh, North America for a better future. Um, and now we're sort of, it's like now the pendulum has swung to the opposite end. You know, it's oscillated all the way to the other side where we're like, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the, 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 the place that speaks my language. I can go and see my cousins that never made it out. I can go and, you know, have my cappuccino in the morning with my cornetto or, you know, whatever, the, you know, the things that they, that bring them so much pleasure that you can't necessarily find, um, or at least not in the Italian areas. Uh, it's not as it's, things are always better in Italy. That's what my Oh, amen. <laughs> so it's, yeah. just, it's interesting, the migration patterns. That's that's sort of the point that I'm trying to bring up is that, you know, we all change through our lives. I was like downtown girl. Now I'm like, you know, suburb of Toronto. That's where I, that's where I'm very happy. But I see my in-laws and I, even myself, I'm starting to dream of like, what would be a really great retirement place for me? Would it be somewhere in the South of France? Would it be somewhere in Italy where, you know, the sun and the food and the, you know, the je ne sais quoi there is, is more in line with um, with my heart. So you, you raise an excellent point. We're actually as a family going to Italy this summer, so we're excited about that. Um, the point is, um, when we think about uh, a longer life, we when when we're told to think about aging, the the narrative often is a glass half full narrative. It's like, uh, but when you look at and that's really ageism. That we're that's around all of us that we do to ourselves. Um, look at the research around uh, happiness and self-reported well-being. It has this U-shape uh, uh, picture, and it's a U-shape everywhere. It's really fascinating. Uh, in the U.S., you start in your twenties. You have a certain level of of, of happiness, and and uh, thinking about you know your downtown stage as you're describing, and then and then you have this this uh, uh, decline. That happens um, where uh, uh, down to really the nadir, the bottom point is in your late 40s, early 50s. I like to think that it has some correlation to teenagers in the house. And then it picks up and you start getting happier again. Again, this, this broad data set to the point when you're in your 70s and 80s, you're, you're happier than you have been at any point in your life. It's called the U shaped happiness curve. We don't talk enough about this. And what ends up happening is, um, and so, but part of that, this is why your point is so important, is there's an imagination to it. What do I want these chapters to look like? And we need, we need to be careful because I was just like you in the sense that I was living in downtown San Francisco, all walkable. Uh, I was, my last name is Frederick. My friends would call me SF Fred. You know, that was my part of my brand. And then, um, yeah, one thing leads to another and we're happily outside of downtown Austin. Yeah. Um, 
But who's to say what the chapters, the future chapters are going to look like? Who's to say at that point, um, what are the things I'm going to find uh, most personally fulfilling? It's difficult to make a life commitment now to say that this is the best place for me to thrive forever. I, I just don't know. And that has implications. So the, the key point is got to tap into this imagination and this glass half full mindset, which sometimes our society doesn't um, necessarily uh, uh, endorse as much. In the first chapter, this is what it's about. Hey, what do you want this to look like? But then you have to be mindful that um, have the courage to make changes to place. Sounds like your, you know, your, your mom and, and family's thinking about uh, to think about it and then take action. Um, and, and recognizing that, uh, as I said, that there may be significant but positive changes that are the right ones for you down the road. So this is in general, like a really exciting narrative that we're living longer, but we almost have to act like adults. Uh, we have to be adulting, I guess, because damn it, damn it, exactly. <laughs> because planning matters. You know, you might yeah. say, well, I really want to do this, but turns out my health isn't what it should be or it isn't. Now, some of that's just luck or not luck, but some of it's lifestyle. Um, you know, maybe you're in a position financially where there was a series of decisions you made that that prohibit now some of what you might want to go do. So there, there are, you know, these decisions have ramifications down the road. Um, but it's but in general, it should start with imagination. You talk about um, this idea of aging in place. And some of the, uh, maybe the issues that you have with this sort of passive term. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, living in community, aging in place and the, you know, if someone is hearing this and they're saying, I, there's no way, like I came from Portugal, I'm not going back there. Like I am happy where I am. Uh, what is the, um, uh, what are some of the benefits of aging in place? What are some of the considerations? Like you said something about your knees, you know, not feeling, uh, you know, not being, you know, so maybe we can uh, talk about, maybe you don't move towns, but you, instead of having a two or three story home, you know, maybe you're on a, um, you know, you're on a single, a single level home, uh, or maybe you make the living room into a bedroom or, you know, something like that. So you're not going up and down the stairs all the time. What might be some of the considerations that we would take for aging in place? If moving somewhere is either a not a desire or an option. So part of, uh, I do, I have a chapter where I, I rant on this term called <laughs> aging in place. And, and, and it, it's a term that's more common for older adults where this narrative where I've either got my single family home or there's like senior living or skill nursing. And I definitely don't want to do any of that stuff. So I'm going to stay in my single family home. That's, that's this aging in place, like broad narrative. And, and the challenge with that narrative, as I mentioned, is that, well, I hate the term. I mean, aging, it seems so passive. It's like happening to you and in, in place feels like you're a statue, which is not a good image and it's not consistent. It's passive too. It's like so it's, it's happening to me rather than exactly, for me. Yeah, exactly. And, and all the research around healthy aging is about being active, about being engaged. Um, so I, I suggest a different term around like living in community. And, and what I mean by that, it's much more active. You know, you're, you're the protagonist here. Um, and, but also recognizes that we, like our conversation earlier, um, the community is a double meaning because it does mean people are important. These relationships are important as it plays out, but also trying to untether um, your identity just to that physical dwelling. 
and I understand for people that have lived in a single family home or a certain residence for decades, yeah, there's a lot of emotional connection. I understand that. But, but to your point, there may be things that make that physical dwelling just not the right place. It could be your master bedrooms on the top floor. You know, it could be that uh, per our conversation earlier, just you're in an area where it's not very walkable. Um, it could be um, one of the issues actually are related to uh, bathrooms, you know, as, as we age, uh, one of the key things is, is not falling about a third of older adults every year fall. And that, that can lead to a different like path. So there are a number of things you can do. I, I highlight some examples in the book with your, to make your current place better, uh, through remodeling, through thinking about furniture allocation, through some lighter touches, but then you do have to think then, well, maybe I love my neighborhood and my broader community, but I need to change my physical place. And that's where, you know, it can make sense to consider uh, uh, maybe a, a condo or a townhome or other models that are out there that just fit better to where, you know, you are. Maybe it's simply you just want to downsize, you get too much stuff and you recognize uh, the cost of that and just the, the mind space that that takes. So I, I think we're, as a society, that people that are familiar with this aging in place term, I just think it can be a disservice because it suggests that since I don't wanna have this other stuff, the only solution is staying where, where I am in exactly the way it is. And that can be that can be equally awful, maybe more awful in some cases for people's long term health, depending on the the situation itself. Yeah, it's interesting um, as you're describing that. I'm I'm thinking about my aunt who uh, my uncle had uh, you know had some trouble walking. They were living in a two story home. They've lived there all their lives. They had to make the living room the bedroom because going up and down the stairs was very difficult for him. And the solution that they came to, they still wanted to, you know, they're uh, they're Italian, uh, you know, very much speak Italian. Uh, that's their that's their preferred language. They they bought a condominium. Um, in sort of an Italian pocket uh, in Toronto. So now, you know, the grass, they don't have to worry about the grass. They don't have to worry about the shingles on the roof. They don't have to worry about all the little things that happen with home maintenance um, that we often, they're sort of, uns, you know, we, we think, oh, the purchase price of the home is X, but we don't actually factor in, well, the roof has to be changed every such and such. The grass has to be the snow removal, the, all the things. So now they live in a condo and they're much happier, much, you know, they, they have Italian friends. They can go to the little Italian cafe. They can, and then they don't have the, the physical pressure of having to maintain the house. And then for him to be going up and down the stairs, which is very difficult. They can go up and down in an elevator now. So you see that decision, that decision for place, the way you describe it with your family, sounds like it made a huge difference. And if you follow the aging and narrative, aging in place narrative, it would be, no, no, I must stay where, you know, where I am. Yeah. And, and so it's a good, but it's a great example because it reminds me a little bit of the, yeah, the Indian couple I described in, in, in the, uh, in part of the narrative in the book, like, you, you make a change in place, but you can see the place itself was better. The community, the social connection changed. Maybe even the physical activity changed because of what you're around like that. It's why it's this big thing, but still hidden in plain sight sometimes. Because if you just move that one big rock to, you know, to a different place, like all these things can be easier. Um, it's like, it's, it's one of those things because it can be overwhelming as you think about how do I make my life better? There are just so many 
can be overwhelming. How about, well, you know, you're always doing, how do you know what the right thing is all the time? But if you get placed right, man, you can, so many other things come with it. Why do you think senior living or senior facilities, um, nursing homes would be one of them, or even just community? Why do you think that they have such a bad rap? And this might be my own story coming to it, but I've always, um, you know, for example, my, my aunt and uncle that, that like living in an Italian, like living in a, you know, an Italian specific senior home was like the worst thing for them ever. It meant that they were dying. It was just a place. It was like a waiting hall, waiting room for death. Why, why does this have such a bad rap? Um, are there, are there benefits to living in some of these, um, where we're, where there's been purposeful design around senior living? And how can we begin to change that narrative? Yeah, another great question, Stephanie. So, and 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 it's an exciting time, uh, in part because I think you're going to see a lot more models emerge, f- just more options for people. I think what happened, and, and I, I know some of these elements well, is I think what happened is a number of these models started on a care-based model, right? Where we're just delivering care, and in some cases we just miss the person. And Stephanie, Ryan, we've been, we are people with personalities and agency and we have hopes and dreams and, and, and we want to continue those no matter where we are in these different chapters in life. And I think that the culture sometimes of these senior living communities, they pretend as though those things don't exist and you become more of a patient than a person. And not everyone does that, but some places do that. And, and you walk in and there's a sense that it's like soul sucking. It's like a waiting room. It's like people are just waiting to die. Waiting to, I, yeah. I do a lot of, you know, keynote speaking and, and some of it in, in the senior living industry. And, and uh, I was on a business trip and I saw a, a, the sign of a senior living community and it pointed a certain direction and right below it was a sign for um, the cemetery, the same direction. <laughs> And, and so I took a picture of it because it was exactly what you're describing. Yeah. It's like what not to do. <laughs> what not to do. Right. Yeah. The branding you're, you're yeah. associating yourself with is that waiting room. Yeah. Not, not every place is like that. There, there are some amazing places where they are rich communities where people know each other, they care for each other, where they're able to be the same person they were before, where in some cases they bring their outside community in and they do have really important infrastructure for services, healthcare, and otherwise, so that help you stay healthy. But when things do happen, you're not on your own. Uh, and, and those situations when you can be the same person, you're seen as a person, not a patient, and then you have the infrastructure when uh, health episodes do happen, it can be pretty powerful. Uh, you know, there's a group I know that part of what I do is, is strategy consulting to different groups across the country and this group in Seattle I work with where really powerful quote, this woman, so it's a senior living community uh, in, in downtown. And she said, I've lived in Seattle all my life, but I didn't have a home until I moved to this called Horizon House is named the community. So there are some that get a bad rap that really are quite exceptional, but there are plenty that don't get it. And what's important for us. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was to let people know this decision matters, understand it, invest in it. It's actually a bunch of decisions. It's unlikely you're going to be in one house forever. So you're going to come up this, come into 
make a decision multiple times. In fact, most people move at least a dozen times in their life. A dozen. A dozen. Yeah, most people do it a dozen times. So there's almost an element of a core competency around thinking about it and doing it and making the right decision. Um, But my hope, I'm hopeful that not only does it make people like you and me and our listeners make better informed decisions, I'm also hopeful it's going to make different real estate developers and public policy people create better places so that it's not a single family home or skilled nursing. There's all these options in between and you can find the right one for you at that chapter. There's, there's a movement right now um, called, uh, started initially by the World Health Organization, WHO. Um, ARP is, is really leading the effort here in the States, but it's around age, making age-friendly communities. So how can we create uh, uh, in, in the overall infrastructure, like sidewalks and things like that, but also just the built environment. How can we just make it work for all people? Uh, I partnered with a, a public company. We built a development in the Washington DC area where it was an apartment building, but we were very intentional to design it. So it worked for all ages. So if you were in your seventies and eighties and you looked into the bathroom, you would see there were slip resistant tiles and blocking behind the walls from grab bars if you needed that, or the shower with a bench. But if you're in your twenties and thirties, just look like an attractive bathroom. So there are things that we can do as a society without a whole lot of effort to just make it easier, you know, for people to, to live there in age, which is one of the reasons why it's so critical because half the people born today are going to live to hundred. So we have to rethink the infrastructure of, of, of places. So to your point earlier, not everything's dependent on a, single family suburban home with stairs where everything you have to do is pop in a car. Um, so it's, it's going to get better. And I'm hopeful this, this book is part of a movement for people to think better about it, but also for us to create better places. What were some of the observations that you made? You mentioned that you wrote about a quarter of the book prior to the pandemic and assuming the three quarters of the book, you know, as it was happening and, um, and we're sort of coming out, I think the other end of it now, maybe we'll start calling it an endemic. Um, but what were some, what were, what were some of the observations that you made around the needs that were going unmet when it came to place with the pandemic? I've, I've heard of like, just, you know, women that I counsel, they're like, there's just not enough space in my house. Like I just, you know, I'm working from home. My kids are working from home. My husband's working from home. Like there's no place for me to have you know, where they went from seeing these people two to three hours a day to seeing them 24 hours a day. Um, what were some of the observations that you made and how do you think uh, some of those uh, some of those pattern interrupts, if you will, are going to shape the future in terms of place design, neighborhood design, community design? Yeah, well, perhaps you should have counseled my wife because I think she had some similar observations there <laughs> in, in the peak uh yeah, I, I didn't always feel as wanted. Um, uh, so I think a few things. It's easy to have the pandemic or endemic. I haven't heard that before. I love that. Is to, when we're in the middle of it to overstate what the long-term implications are. And I remember when I was writing the book and the pandemic's happening, it's like, should the title of the pandemic be in the title of the book? And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the 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 themes here are so there's so much bigger, there's so much more enduring that the pandemic in large part just put a spotlight on place. And we have to be aware that this is sadly probably not the last pandemic that you and I are gonna face in our lives. So we have to recognize there's gonna be stages where we have to be mindful. So if we're in a spot where uh, we're particularly at risk, 
when you have these infectious diseases, I think about that, you know, on the front end. Um, but I think there have been some longer term implications, getting back to your question. I think how we think about flexible spaces is an important one. Um, it's, you know, I do think there are implications about just sheer square footage. Uh, I think, the, you know, this idea of being able to have um, effective work from home, it's going to be with us. Like this idea of hybrid working, it's, it's, it's not going away. In part, the technologies are there. The, uh, uh, it's more socially acceptable and more people want that. The idea of having to slug away at a commute, which could be an hour or so each way to be in an office that maybe you don't like. I mean, that's not everyone wants to sign up for that five days a week. So, so that's, so yeah, how we think about the space that we have and being flexible for different uses, I think is, is one of the pandemic uh, implications. I think that um, just going back to our point around social connection, you know, when the pandemic happened, it, we were like all naked in a way it exposed things that were good or not. And so some people had pods, some people didn't have pods because they weren't connected enough. So I think that's one of the implications. Am I in a place where um, I have those relationships or I can create those relationships? Um, we, we have a woman that um, we'd rented a home before we moved into the house we're now. And she's amazing. She's 85. She leads a weekly yoga class in her backyard that people have to pay for. Uh, my wife's gone several times. And it's a group of women that started out as walking buddies. And they've just stayed in touch, stayed in touch. And so she's got this rich community of people that are aging successfully that she already had in place before the pandemic. So she had people checking on her and vice versa. And some of that can be purpose, right? If you have certain people that you know you can help out and it makes a difference, that's an element of purpose in your life. So I think there's physical implications around this. Like we talked about in the physical space, I talked earlier about some, I think we found that there are some places that uh, economically aren't like set up well for the future. There are some places right now where the, uh, the fiscal, fiscal health of the state or the city, are, and they're not good. And as, as people have left, it's made it harder because the people that have stayed there, it's not, a, the selection bias is not a positive one. It raises some very interesting like policy issues as a country, like how do we make sure every place thrives? But as a practical matter, at the moment, some places are just harder. And so, uh, you know, coming out of this. So I think there's a number of different components. It's space, it's how you develop relationships, it's recognizing life is fleeting. So these, th the, you know, these things that these interventions you can make, make a difference. Um, and so I'm hopeful that a number of those things will, will stay with us as this plays out. And so it enters our thinking around these big decisions. I remember um, many of my American friends, there's been just uh, an efflux out of California and New York and an influx to Texas and Florida. Uh, one of my um, good friends, JJ Virgin, I think she had sent, like, sent me a stat, like something like, you know, 15,000 or 20,000 new people in Florida, you know, like every single, it was a day or week, I forget the stat now, but it was astounding. Like people were like, we're getting rid, like the, the tax in California, the policies that are happening, like can't take it anymore. I'm going to, you know, insert red state, you know, like Texas or Florida where, you know, maybe it's a little bit more 
business friendly, entrepreneurial friendly. And that's a really good example of how places change, right? Like California, you know, beloved, right? Like it's a, you know, like Santa Monica and LA and all these sort of, um, for the weather and the community and the people. And many of those people with the pandemic just were like, nope, I'm leaving. (laughs) It is, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the lead story in much of this. It's, um, you know, they were, when you look at, and I've lived in California for a lot of my life, grew up there, went back after college for a dozen years, you know, love it, have many close relationships. Um, but some of it is governance. Uh, one of the concerns in a place like California, regardless how you feel politically, when you have uh, an entire state of just one political party, it can you're more likely to have crazy things happen than if there's some balance of power. And, and, and so, yeah, and that re- reinforces my point earlier that like places change, not, not just you, but places change, change as well. And, and however, it's one thing to, um, to move from a place. It's another thing to pick the right place for you and, and be integrated. So we're, we're in Texas. We're, we're, we're a refugee state. <laughs> so we're talking about, and we had a, an event last night for our school district where we welcome new families in. So not surprisingly, I met, four other couples, they were either from New York or California. Mm-hmm. And, and so then it becomes, well, how do we, we, we've chosen to relocate, but then how do we make life work here? And, and I think that's a really important piece because if we don't think about place broadly enough, we think, oh, we check the box on our house and it's got the three bedrooms and the two bathrooms. Great. But in, in reality, that's just the start. And when you do have a chance, when you, if, if you do go down a path where there's a significant um, relocation, that's also an opportunity then to, re- to, to rejigger these habits. So you can, uh, let's, say, let's say TV watching is a problem for you. Well, I know that's effectively on any device these days, but let's say TV is a problem. Well, maybe you shouldn't have the TV in your bedroom now. Like you, you have a chance to revisit these things. So you're more likely it nudges you to these better, you know, decisions that you probably want anyway, but it, but it helps. Uh, you mentioned before we press record that you have uh, a self-assessment um, that you're going to be giving or allowing people to take so that they can evaluate uh, whether or not, or they can get a better sense of, you know, where they are right now. Can you give us a little bit of uh, information on that? And if, you know, people want to follow you, they want to find, like, tell us about the book, tell us all the things where people can find you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, as I mentioned earlier, this, this book wasn't uh, part of the master plan, just life, you know, t- took me that direction. Um, but it's been fun now hearing people's response to the book. So it's been out a couple of weeks, but there's some people that have gotten it and have read it, you know, quickly. And this, um, this one woman, she reached out, don't, don't really know her very well, but she reached out um, and she's like, uh, she's in her early seventies. She's single. She's like, I felt like you were a friend and we were having a beer in my backyard and it was good beer. <laughs> so, um, so this idea has come up a couple of times. I feel like I'm talking to a friend and that was my hope is that as you're going through, there's no judgment. It's just, Hey, this is important. Here are your options, make a good decision. Uh, and so I've really, it, it's been, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, 
it's made, it's made you feel good that that you're having this positive impact um, in something that that matters. Um, one of the things that's come back to feedback is the self-assessment. It's early in the book, and and then people have an opportunity to fill out more later on. And it's um, it's a prompting around those five things we talked about earlier. You know, purpose, social connection, physical being, financial being, and then kind of community in your place. And with a set of questions like, well, how, where am I on this? Because if you're perfect everywhere and that's the reality, well, hey, you're in the right place at the right time. But if you're, if you're not, it at least probes you to think, what could I do better? Where might there be an opportunity? And so the plan, we're in the process right now, it'll take a few weeks, but we're going to put a a version of that self-assessment on the Smart Living 360 website. So people can come in, ask a few of these questions, and then it shoots out, you know, here's a, here's a picture of what, how you've answered it, what it would look like, and, and some suggestions of what you might do. Um, there is an element as you do that, though, that we're all blind to certain things. So it's helpful sometimes to get feedback from others. You know, you might feel like you're really active, but maybe you're not really, if you're honest with yourself, for example. Um, so it's helpful to have some outside perspective as it plays out. Or if you're in a relationship, uh, you know, you may not have, have, court, uh, have uh, full rights to relocate a family. <laughs> it might be a partnership decision. And so netting it out together so both people thrive is, is important. But in terms of more information, um, the, the best place is the uh, Smart Living 360 website, which is www.smartliving360 dot com and there uh, there's an opportunity to sign up for a, a weekly message that's where the self-assessment will be there's gonna be more content over time because i'm recognizing that um, people are looking for not only where do i fit on this but how do i make it better what do i do how do i think about it and so i want to be more helpful as that plays out and it's a range of um uh people stephanie like you know we talk about I, I focus a bit on kind of the 50s and above as i talk about second half of life but some of these some of these issues may matter for people younger the conditions for someone maybe in their mid-70s and how they're thinking about is different than people in their maybe single different different than people in their mid-50s perhaps so there's a number of different just places people find themselves and, and having content that meet people where they are is important now there's one thing i didn't mention um, should have earlier is mention it briefly, but there is just, there's a lot of single people, single by choice, uh, uh, childless perhaps as well as it's played out that aging is complicated or having a longer life is complicated for anyone, but it's particularly complicated if you're more on your own. And I had uh, uh, breakfast with a friend of mine yesterday um, from Baltimore. She's in town here and, and was getting updated on her life. And her kids are now graduated from college. So they're truly launched. You know, she's, um, she's divorced uh, a few years ago. She's got a big single family home in the Baltimore area. She's like, where, where should I go? Where, you know, where do I want to find my people? These are big questions and, and they're questions for everyone, but sometimes those questions are even more significant if you're on this journey on your own. And so I think planning and having these tools is, is particularly important. And especially for women, I think there, um, there are some differences around social connection and, and building your tribe. And, and, uh, 
I think it's significant to make sure you have the right information to be able to act on it. So um, I'm on Twitter and, and I'm at LinkedIn is I'm probably most active in just uh, Ryan Frederick there, but um, there'll be more of a social media presence over time as well. I love that too, because what you're essentially talking about is co-creating the information with your community. So as you know, your you know, your single uh, women with their children launched, as you mentioned, they're like, I need something like this. I need some type of summary for these cities that are really, or, you know, whatever it is. And then you might have the, you know, young families that are like, I need to, I want to be good near really great public schools or have access to private schools or have access to parks or, you know, whatever it may be. So uh, highly encourage anybody who's listening to go and we'll have a clickable link in the show notes, smartliving360.com. You can sign up for his newsletter and then you can also send your suggestions to you, which will help you co-create this, um, this toolkit for people to make better decisions around place and longevity. Yeah, Stephanie, I, it's so, I'm uh, so glad you brought that up because um, it is that the, the co-generation piece and, and I would love, um, yeah, input. And I'm getting that from more people. Here's what I'm struggling with, or here's an opportunity. Sometimes when you write a book and I found this, uh, part of my ritual is just waking up early and, you know, plugging away on the, on the computer, probably similar for you. Um, but it's, it can feel a bit one way and then you're, it's out there in the world. And now's a great time to have more of that two-way dialogue. Hey, here's what's significant for me. I'm, I can see down the path, potentially having even like a talk show where there's opportunities for more of that back and forth of how you think about these, you know, significant things. So we'll see where it goes, but I do think there's a lot of meat there that people are trying to process and and think through. And and it's not on the margin. It's like, as I said, this decision about place, it just is huge. And your example with your aunt, like that was a big decision. And if we, if we can get the big decisions, right it's less important if we get some of the smaller ones wrong. It's just a truism in life and just places is, is, is one of those big ones. Um, and, and, you, and in terms of right place, right time, you know, you can see it on the website, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's, and it's been great. It's been, the reception has been really positive where it's only, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks and there's going to be a reprint for the, the book. So there's a lot of interest in this subject. Amazing. Well, I think that this is going to be so useful for my community. Um, We have, it's a largely female audience. Um, As you mentioned, this can affect women uh, and and it can affect men and women, but particularly later in life, certainly when you think about uh, longevity, women often outlive men. So this is a really important uh, consideration. So thank you so much for your time. This was a fascinating conversation. We've never talked about this on the podcast before. So, so happy that uh, you've spent the time and um, just great, great chatting with you. Yeah, no, Stephanie, I loved it. And I, I have a number of Canadian friends and they all seem to be, to be quite friendly. So you're, uh, you're reinforcing the, uh, the brand. Uh, the it's Canadian part of the brand. citizenship requirements. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, maybe we should add that to in, here in the States. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast better with Dr. Stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare providers, advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. 
The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary health care provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 